Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Beyblade was great, mate. Everyone, it- because there was Pokemon when I was very young and Digimon as well. And mm. then when I was like, I was eight or nine years old, that's when Beyblade and Yu-Gi-Oh! came out. Oh, yeah. You're either a Yu-Gi-Oh! kid or a, <laughs> or a Beyblade kid. I, uh, and I did not like maths, so I just did <laughs> Beyblade. I didn't watch um, Beyblade, but I uh, I didn't, sorry, I didn't watch Yu-Gi-Oh! either. But I um, I loved I loved card battling so mm. much that I almost, well, I did buy the Yu-Gi-Oh! game. And then I was like, this isn't anywhere near Yu-Gi-Oh! as in-depth as I... Wait, the, wait the actual like card game or the actual no the PS3 one or PS2 uh, or whatever it was ah uh, yeah I've got one of my mates plays Yu-Gi-Oh Master Duel all the time I got the arm thing oh the, the dual deck yeah the dual deck I don't know I probably should get him it though just <laughs> <laughs> I just the thing is like I don't know about you but if you look at like modern which probably hit record at some point or maybe this is the intro but mm. um, whenever you look at like toy technology over time we have it really good now mm-hmm. when you look at the um, the amount of dexterity that wasn't there in a lot of toys that were around in the 80s and 90s is like the original Star Wars action figures. Are they all Kenner boys? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You compare them to like the way that like a, a black series or a dark series looks now um, for Star Wars, and it's like the actual the machines are making better toys. Uh, now. I think it. That's there's always been different lines, hasn't there? There's always True. been ones that that balance uh, like dexterity and durability. Mm-hmm. So like if you wanted to, if you're a little kid and you got a little Spider Man, you don't mm-hmm. want to get the fancy dancey edition because you're throwing <laughs> that guy everywhere. <laughs> that's true. And yeah, you'd always get like one offs and stuff. But I feel like in general. Like, like the average kid, the average person has access to really good stuff at the oh, 20, yeah. 20, 30, 50 pound mark, I'd oh, wait, say. Whereas there they used to be like a couple of I don't hundred. know if it was some few, Scott. When I was growing up and I really wanted a Batman figure, mm. you could never find just the basic Batman. It would always be like fire yeah. action Batman or freeze blast Batman. It's like, I don't want a Batman that's green or no. orange. I just, I just want Batman. And, when, and I couldn't find that back in the day. Right. But now... You can find them everywhere. I um yeah, I I had the frost Batman, but I was gonna say, I had the one where you could clip his cape shut on the front. It was oh, a, get in. It looked cool. But um where'd you come down on and we'll do questions at some point, where'd you come down on uh, when they give like Spider Man a car? You know, when it's like uh, it's Spider Man and his web car. <sighs> I saw straight through that when I was a kid. <laughs> I was not, I know what you're doing to me. I was not deceived. No. I, I always thought it was stupid. It's like Spider Man swings around while you need a car. That was my thing. Yeah. I was you? just like I, I don't that was that's that my brain went to Sonic there because there's Sonic mm. racing and I was like Sonic of all characters does not Nick Flash isn't in a car is he yeah he's running yeah well I mean to be fair I did get worked by Sonic Riders when I was a kid (laughs) that's because it was a snowboard or a a series of boards yeah he was skating and I was also just there like but he's faster than the skateboard so why is he doing that yeah well at least look cool Sonic wants to look cool more than he wants to run fast that's fair. Oh, actually, I don't know. That's good philosophy, that. I've said that. All the Sonic fans listening to this, does Sonic want to be cool? Does Sonic want to look cool more than he wants to run fast? 
The, the I, Sonic Priority has you know cooler what? I think we all need to look cool. We all need to prioritize looking cool rather than running mm. fast. Yeah, so I, it's, I, it's a, a good, good life philosophy. statement. Speaking of a good life statement, this is the Entitled Banner Podcast, the UBP, the UBP. The UBP, I'm joined by you in person. Hello. Hello, I'm Scott Taylorford, your host for this particular thing. I've done the intro in the wrong way and I can't get my way out of it, but it doesn't matter. Fine, we got there in the end. Because we've got loads of people's questions and stuff. We'll get through as many as we can, whatever's going on in the gaming industry, whatever you'd like us to talk about. First question from Pinky, who says, Wahoo, UBP, UBP, UBP. BP. I will be buying my first fighting game in decades because of the Tekken 8 demo. And though Prince of Persia didn't grab me, I'm sure many have bought it on, on the strength of its demo. Um, are we seeing a renaissance of, of the lost art of the gaming demo? I did want, I want to include this because I, I want to shout out Square Enix. Um, because for the longest time now, they've done big uh, multiple hour chunks of near finished code for their games. Um, and also Capcom's Resident Evil 2 demo. That was like, here's a chunk of what will be the final game. Um, and Square Enix are doing it at the minute with Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth. But they also did it with Final Fantasy 16, they did it with Octopath Traveler. You could play like 20 hours or 10 hours or whatever of Octopath Traveler um, 2 just on the demo. And same with the first one, Triangle Strategy as well. Mm. Actually, sorry, Triangle Strategy is the one I'm thinking of. But um, yeah, Triangle Strategy was like, here's just a big old chunk of the game. So you know what you're buying. And I'm just like, in the modern industry, I want to champion that so much more. Yeah, we need that back. There was clearly a point in time, like I want to say 12, 13 years ago, where someone at videogames.org was like, <laughs> we don't want to give people demos no more no. because they're just spending time on the demo and they're not actually getting in the game. I remember, to be fair, and in their defense, I remember the demo for Just Cause oh, from yeah. like 2010. And there was the glitch that you could do uh, to glitch out of the zone that locked you in and oh, to give you unlimited time as well. So you right. still have the annoying countdown thing in. And, and most of the map was not rendered properly outside of that. <laughs> but you could just spend time in the Just Cause 2 demo mm -hmm. uh, if you wanted to. So I totally get that. But at the same time, you know, I feel like beyond just the demo disc era that we grew up in in the early 2000s, fond memories of the, the Futurama demo, the Futurama game demo. I never actually touched that game, yeah. but I remember seeing it coming out. Yeah. It costs like a thousand pound now. Yeah? Yeah. In the retro scene. Because yeah, people are slabbing and crabbing <laughs> and I hate them. But I feel, yeah, overall, like there's a few things to this, like in terms of like, I remember when Bethesda stopped giving review codes out and it was like, well, no one's going to know what this thing is until launch day. And it's it's obvious that that's just a money play. Like, you know, if you want to know what this game is, cough up the cash and don't wait for the reviews. And um, which you then have seen so many other publishers do oh, that. Reviews don't matter, Scott. Well, yeah. It's so irrelevant. <laughs> if you know you can like it, just buy it. <laughs> but um, I remember as well on the Xbox store, um, you know, the Xbox Marketplace, every game would have a demo. Every Xbox Live game would have a demo. Yeah. Whereas PlayStation didn't mandate that. And I remember, I don't remember the game, but there were a few things that were out on PlayStation and Xbox, and I would go onto Xbox specifically to get the demo. The Xbox Arcade Trials. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were class. I remember, because then you would have the option to unlock the full game after you had completed the little trial bit. Mm -hmm. I love that. We need more. I think the, the the demos are great at getting people to explore things and try things. Yeah. Um, because I feel like when you take that that ability to experiment away, you get uh, siloed into the games that you're most comfortable playing. True. Um, unless you've gotten really strong and ringing endorsements and you're like, I need to check this thing out. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to see more demos. Yeah, and I get that there I get the reality on the dev side of like game production's got exponentially more complicated. It's so hard siphoning off a vertical slice that you would then have at a trade show that maybe then you would use as a um, as a demo or something that impacts development overall. Like sometimes it is just better aiming for a specific finish line. Um but if it's possible like having those chunks of near finished code and just hard hard cutting the level off or whatever it is, um I still think is is better than nothing even though I get there I I don't have no idea about the reality of how you would do that, but looking at the likes of Square Enix and Capcom um, and some of the other game trials that have been going on, 
um, that's a great thing. Like Battlefield 2042, even even that game had like, it was like you could play five hours mm. um, before it cut off. The game was in a state for the first <laughs> few weeks. Um, but yeah, hopefully it, uh, it leads to better things. Question from Human Michael, who says, I want to hear best and worst Arnold movies from both of you. No, I'm assuming Ooh. Arnold Schwarzenegger, but yeah, take that home. Okay, so uh, the greatest action movie of all time, Predator, yep. obviously. Uh, the Running Man is a straight up banger. Yep. Uh, Total Recall, also, obviously you've got to mention the Terminator. you got to pick one though, mate. The, oh, the best one, is best, Predator. One. best one is Predator. Shout. Worst one. Um, <laughs> he was in a really. It's a shame because it's a movie that I actually really enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's uh, Red Heat with um, <laughs> with Mr. J- uh, James Belushi. Okay, where he plays a. <laughs> he play, actually, no. Raw Deal's worse. I'm going to talk about Red Heat because it's funny to talk right. about Red Heat. He plays a uh, Soviet uh, police officer who has to go over to America to solve a crime. And it gets into a wacky situation because <laughs> he gets paired with old James Belushi and things. And there's a great bit where he um, break, breaks up like a drug ring or whatever, and he breaks off a man's prosthetic leg, <laughs> and then just turns upside down, and cocaine falls out, and he just goes cocaine them because he's doing a Russian <laughs> accent. You should watch Red Heat. Yeah, uh, my I, the thing is like you're way more of a movie guy than me. I'll, I'll watch the movies, but I don't keep up with them anywhere near as much as I do gaming or whatever. Um, and so when I read the question, I was like, oh, best Arnold movie. My mind just went to Jingle All the Way. I forgot Predator and all that kind of stuff, uh, even though it's clearly Predator. Yeah, uh, I will. Sh- I love Jingle All the Way though, just for I guess mostly nostalgic reasons. Jingle All the Way is a great. Time. It's a banger. Um, for the worst one, I don't have many that come to mind in terms of something where I didn't. When have I never enjoyed watching Arnold? in yeah. person in uh, on screen I mean but uh, I've never seen that one with Danny DeVito is that a- Twins is amazing is that amazing no no no, no, no. Twin, <laughs> Twins is is fantastic I love Twins if you if you want to talk about the worst objectively it's probably something like Hercules in New York which is oh, like a uh, very very early Arnold um, but yeah great dude love him yeah big big fan uh, Jack Asbury asks after hearing about Embracer Group shutting down production on a new Deus Ex game do you think there needs to be some sort of legal precedent where companies have to sell IP they've bought if they mishandle it um, I don't know how you would ever enforce that. No, I think I think that it's it's not something that's legally enforceable. What I would like the, the issue here is antitrust stuff. You know, mm. Embracer should not have been able to gobble up as much. I think the issue there is that there's while well, there's legal precedent for acquiring companies and how many companies you own, mm. there's nothing in there about IP and hoarding IP and licenses, True. which probably does need to. We do need well, to have a conversation about that. Yeah, I think for the, the Deus Ex thing, it was like revealed uh, earlier in the week. T- I forget the, the time. So many things have happened across the last couple of weeks. But the de- new Deus Ex game was apparently in production for two years. So I would have something in place that saves that work. Like, I don't know how it, I mean, you, you let the... Uh, the, t- the thing is, I'm, I, I'm too aware of the legal proceedings to yes. phrase this thing mm-hmm. because I know it wouldn't happen. But you want some way for the people who have put the time in to maintain... If they want to continue with the project, they get some sort of legal way of... Tr- of someone can step in. Because the only way that works is if Embracer sell the studio slash mm. publisher and then they get to take that with them. Or they go um, independent and you get like an independent fund. Yes. And it's like we calculate how much you spent across the last couple of years. You get that for the next... Yeah. However long the game was in production, we give you that time and then you get to go independent and work on it while you get a buyer. Yeah. It, ultimately, it's a, it's a very story. interesting question. Like, Because uh, the way that we, we negotiate like company acquisitions and takeovers, um, the IP and the properties that are owned and accumulated by the company that is being purchased mm. are factored 
factored into the value of the company and also into things like antitrust laws. It's why the Disney-Fox merger was so controversial mm-hmm. because Disney would have a wealth of IP at their disposal that they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that you know you can't you can't be like, well, if you're taking up IP bit by bit from loads of different places, that is very difficult. That's mm-hmm. kind of like a gray area in all this. I do think maybe there needs to be a discussion about that because the issue that you have there is that, well, if the company you know, goes under or is having like loads of financial difficulties, you either get stuff that is sitting stagnant in a vault mm. um, or you have to get people to go and, go and buy them back. It's just, I think embrace are hideous. I think oh, what, yeah. what, is, like, what has gone on over the last year, two years, it's just a complete scandal. The amount of um, deal, the, the the big deal they were able to do, the amount of, I just think of the human cost of it, and it's it sounds ridiculous. potentially melodramatic, but I, I genuinely mean it. The amount of people whose lives were affected by that deal, you look at the sheer amount of studios and how big they were, the amount of projects, the amount of creative energy that went into those, those various things that were then canned, and well, some people lost their jobs, etc. and the whole thing was hinging on a deal that hadn't even gone through yet, and so it's just, I just, just a ludicrous state of affairs. Um, but yeah, that whole thing about, like you said, when IP um, you know, change hands or studios get bought out. Nine times out of ten, they just wipe out whatever was going on beforehand for whatever reason. Sometimes that's a legal thing. Sometimes the previous company has different contracts or whatever it is. Um, and sometimes you're just better off, quote unquote, uh, starting again. But it means that that two years in the Deus Ex's case just goes away. So it's like whatever legal thing you could put in there that would help in some way. If you're a coder, you're an art department, you're a whatever, and you've just ostensibly you've wasted two years of your life if you're hanging a lot of it on what's going to come out at the end. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I'm trying to think. I feel like there have been examples where a game studio has taken IP with them to a different publisher. And why is that struggling? Well, it's really they have, hard. but yeah. I think that has to be negotiated yes, as part exactly. of the thing. Yeah. Whereas the, th- like- the thing with Embracer is that I think there does need to be more regulation of you cannot just gobble up and buy the properties and IP licenses mm. themselves. Like that, that, that in itself is an issue. It would have been regulated if they were buying loads of companies, mm-hmm. which I know they have done as well. Yeah. But the, the licensing issue specifically in the IP itself, that that probably does need more regulation from yeah. um, competition and trust I just feel um, like, agencies. Yeah, yeah, I feel like you hear quite a lot about, um, oh, that game was three years in, that game was four years in, and it got wiped out because they changed hands, or for whatever reason they decided so many years in that it was lost. I guess ultimately my thing is cutting through all of that stuff and being like, can we not salvage the the human effort put into these works? Or for whatever reason, were those two years, is there nothing salvageable at all? Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that I'm aware of, is just the, obviously we're creative people, we make stuff for a living. So it's like, if you did that for years and you lost it, it's like, what the hell was that? Um, you're, I would hope there's some sort of safety I saw a really there. sad tweet the other day from a game dev who was saying that he's been working in the industry for like, I think it was like uh, 10 years. Mm. And Oh, and three things had cancelled yeah, in a row. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Elias Dufekis, the guy that's... That was, um, that was, it was, was it that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, the, the voice yeah. of um, Adam Jensen yes. in, in the last couple of Deus Ex games. Batman and Gotham Knights as well. Yeah, and it's like, he, yeah, he was saying that like oh, nearly everything he's worked on of a certain scale of the last 10, whatever it is, yeah, it's all, it all fell through. He was like, I get it, it's the industry, I've got other irons in the fire, um, but that's the reality of it right now. And it's like, it's, I, I would love someone who was um, of like an analytical mind who knew multiple mediums inside out to just be like, is this specific to gaming? It feels like it's more of an entertainment industry thing where a lot of like, you know, you look at the tax write-offs in the movie space. And yeah, things like that. but nothing has the time sink like gaming. No, has. true. Like years of someone's life, you know, like you could say that, and even then it's like, if, if a movie is how many years into production, it's getting released unless it's Warner Brothers and they want to be scumbags. <laughs> um, whereas with gaming, you can get, you can you can sink half a decade of your life into a project and mm-hmm. it'll never be seen. And that that is, you know, 
That's a hell of a way to live. A typification of just how weirdly unsustainable things are going at the minute. Yeah, and it's like there's a an, there's a huge element of trust in that we're starting this project under the proviso that in five years' time, the publisher's still going to be around or someone's still going to be around to get it over the finish line. And if that finish line goes away or they go, actually, we don't believe in this anymore, that is has to be uniquely soul-crushing in a very specific way. Um, the question from TJ, who says, can you explain where your and some others at What Culture's games accents come from for my unrefined Canadian ears? Also, do you ever watch Mark Brown's Game Maker's Toolkit? Could be a cool guest. I feel like we're way below <laughs> Mark Brown's Game Maker's Toolkit, um, but I'd love to have that dude on. I don't watch as much stuff as his as I should. It's always recommended, um, but his run times, the, and he goes so in-depth that uh, all I can do is do a massive shout-out to that guy. Like, I wish I watched more of his I've stuff. I've not actually watched any. Of what, what, what are these videos Just about, like deep dives on, um, he does a thing called, it's called like Boss Key or something as well, or Boss Design. It's been a while since I've watched his, his stuff, but there's a lot of like deep dives on game design, specifically getting into the guts of how levels were made, how oh, gameplay cool. loops work. Um, I love all that stuff. Uh, Josh watches a lot more of it than I do, or him than I do. And uh, yeah, just shout out to Mark Brown's uh, Game Makers Toolkit over on YouTube. Uh, as for the accents, um, I'm Northeastern born and bred. Uh, yeah. I'm from a little town called, I was born in a place called Hexham. I lived in Prado, and then I moved over to Newcastle. So initially, I was way more broad, know what I mean? And then it eventually, <laughs> over time, got way more refined because I worked in retail for years and years and years. Um, and I remember there was a specific thing when I used to work in Argos, which is like a UK... Uh, shopping chain thing that um, I was in like quite a posh area and I was I was still quite broad but obviously my accent must have been like half and half towards RP or towards being more refined and no one could understand me and they were just like oh sorry what like oh can you try again and uh, and eventually you end up sounding like this where you need to have a certain level of minimizing the accent otherwise it used to be way more of a thing that you can't kind of a similarish story for me so mm. I'm from Liverpool uh, but I obviously don't sound like I'm uh, yeah, I don't, I don't sound particularly it. scouse if you put a few drinks in me then it'll come out um but then we moved to uh warrington when i was quite young which is just a black hole in between liverpool and, and manchester but i think the scouse accent's wonderful i think it's, yeah. it's a great great accent and um, so that's kind of explains what i'm from I, I just have a really you might be able to hear it if you really listen um but like you i when i'm i'm so conscious of how i'm talking and how i'm being presented and then if it's like a video thing mm. there's like a different accent variations that come into it as well voices are really strange when like me you've moved you've lived in different parts mm. for so long mm -hmm. uh, i kind of absorb everything like a sponge because obviously half scottish as well if i'm in glasgow for a while little things will come out it's yeah. not like it's like i'm gonna just switch and you know become the big yin or whatever but it's like <laughs> the things just, so yeah no, it's, it's, it's an interesting question because I, I i feel like most people if they had to ask where i'm from Mm -hmm. or like what my accent is, they probably wouldn't be able to tell you. No, and I think like it is like a code switching thing where like if I'm talking to my dad, then like, ah, oh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'll talk like this. Like, it's way more broad. And only three people would have known what I just said there. But, like, for the most part, I'm talking like this. Um, not to name drop a celebrity person who I had a lovely chat with, but when I was at the Golden Joysticks last year, I was having a chat with Ralph Innocent, um, Game of Thrones. He plays Sid in Final Fantasy 16. And I was talking to him about, like, because I don't know if you, like, remember when it was a whole thing where you just couldn't have an accent online. It was, like, in the early 2010s. Like, when we were starting our video on what culture, it was, like, if you're going to be presenting stuff, it needs to be the most, like, toned-down accent ever. And it was 
was it was Game of Thrones that changed all that. And it was like I was just talking to him about that that idea of like accents are more accepted now in terms mm-hmm. of being like online. Like you'll get a, like there's a Geordie in Final Fantasy 16, a global franchise with a very specific dialect. This is the other interesting thing. I think that, that's so right because if you were looking for accent variation in terms of pop culture for the United Kingdom, because mm. so much of our acting class and it is a class for the most part mm. have come from privately educated backgrounds mm. where they've been to you know the Oxbridges, the Eatons, or whatever, <laughs> and they all have very kind of posh sounding voices. That's mm. still the defining kind of British English voice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's If you were looking for variation in that, you'd be looking at best Sean Bean as sharp in the 90s. And it's kind of gotten a little bit more now. Like the, the Stephen Grahams, we're going to use like the yeah. Scouse example. Um, it's gotten a little bit better now. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that is a thing that is moving forward because I feel like, you know, it is, there, there is such a thing as accent discrimination. It mm. comes down to classist attitudes oh, as well. Totally. Um, so hopefully that is changing the better. We've gone very deep after after yeah. all this, but it's an interesting thing to interrogate because it's not something that personal. It is something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about as someone who is from Liverpool and feels very much, behold, well, very much like in link with the Scouse mm. identity and everything. It has kind of been like a thing of like, well, am I scouse enough is well, like I'm a weird like, thing but yeah no I'm always like very aware of like if I'm talking to um, someone that's above me in like the overall hierarchical structure of like the future the guys that bought us out mm-hmm. then I'll be speaking a lot more like this mm-hmm. and I'll make sure that they know exactly what I'm saying and I'm forming everything perfectly and whatever which is different to how I'm talking to you right now mm-hmm. or Geordie if I was talking to my dad so it's like but I'm aware of that I mm-hmm. think some of that comes from just having done presenting work for so yes. long you're aware of like I remember developing this <laughs> thought process of like when you're on camera and you're talking it's like I'm aware that I'm talking but I'm thinking as well like I'm, I'm about to make this point I'm going to do this like I'm double thinking the whole thing and if I've been in the voiceover space for too long I will just forget what my default <laughs> voice is I'm like how do I how do I talk again maybe I'm just an alien no, I think we're all just navigating this. I think the content life um, deals a, a harsh card every now and then. Mm. But um, it'd be funny for us to do a whole video on our natural accents, like if mm. you really stayed into it. Because like Josh is from a place called Bishop Auckland, and like um, and when he goes full broad, it's County Durham. it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like that's a whole thing. Uh, and a question from Morton Nielsen, who says, do you think Suicide Squad will be fixed over the coming months, in particular the repeating repeating and boring missions? It is a live service game after all, so I guess it would be possible if Rocksteady listens to the feedback. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. This is the thing. Um, I, if, if we talk, it, it depends on the level of fixed that you're going for here. If you're expecting something like the linear brilliance that we had from the Arkham games, no chance. No. Um, I think what we're getting here is it's still going to be enemies on rooftop or take down a big squishy thing or take down a variation of boss fight. Maybe, I, I don't think that they have the... The, the time or the resources mm. to be, we're going to do actual proper missions in this. No. It's going to be the variation of escort vehicle, destroy thing, rescue hostages, um, which is a shame. I feel like there are certain, you know, in the, in the weeks that have settled since the game came out, there are things that I can praise. Even if I find it stupid that it is a shooter game, I can say that the shooting itself feels fun. When you get to yep. grips with the traversal long enough, that does feel fun and you can integrate some fun systems in there. Um, but I don't think anyone expecting or hoping that over the course of the coming seasons that it becomes something different, mm. uh, I don't think that it has the wiggle room to adjust. With the gameplay systems that are in place, it is built to be you are going around these these big structures, either swinging around as Harley or jumping around as King Shark or you know Captain Boomeranging it around. Mm -hmm. I don't think the the facilities are in place to 
make it more of what maybe people were hoping for. No, same. I think the uh, the structures they've built, the animations they've built, the, the the gameplay rigs they've built are in a very specific framework for those mission types. And I would be, maybe they can do something really cool. I mean, it's funny, my mind went to the Hitman Freelancer mode that came out last year, where um, IO Interactive basically made like a roguelike version of Hitman, mm-hmm. where you're getting different mission goals as you're on mission, and it's like improvise on the fly, um, and go to different spaces, and it all chains together really, really well. And I would never have seen that coming. And that's all using the guts of what is already there from the origin from the three Hitman games, and so maybe there's something if they're given enough, um, you know, road kind of thing, enough planning, enough creative freedom, and it's not Warner Brothers to death, which is how we got here in the first place. Then maybe they can do something cool with the rigging that's there. I just, I think it feels like a, a miracle if that's the case. Um, but they, they've committed to multiple. They've got seasons. They've got all these months of content and everything. They've already said Joker's coming. Like. They um they're gonna they're gonna be maintaining it if there's a player base there. And to be honest, there's like there's obviously a critical consensus. We've done a bunch of videos on it. It's a pretty bad game, like in the way you analyze it. But people are liking it, like which is a weird way to phrase that because oh, you're liking your bad game. But it's yeah. like there are a lot of repeat elements to that towards I, the I, end again, of that game. I, we always stress in the coverage that there are gonna be people who they're gonna be people who like this. Yeah, like looter shooters are successful. You know, snappy fun movement that can be translated to mm. a winning formula. There are people who are gonna be enjoying a looter shooter DC game for me yes. the issues for the creative level mm-hmm. um, but you know I, I'm I'm going to be checking out the new seasons as they come mm-hmm. um, if I can get past the having to fight the same things over and over again <laughs> aspect and um, but I'm interested to see how the story resolves you know the, the, the whole thing with the league there's clearly you know, just oh, I'm not going to get into a rant. I'm curious about, um, yeah, I mean, go check out your coverage, like you and mm. Josh's coverage, the ending video, the review video itself. Like, we've got a lot of suicide stuff, but that's there's a full spoiler chat in there as well. And there's another video that I'm currently working on on how to, where does Batman Arkham go? after all this, which yeah. um, is an interesting question to pose. Um, Especially if, with Arkham Knight back in the sales charts again. Yeah. Like, uh, if anything, it's reignited the love of that we had for Rocksteady beforehand, where it's just remembering how stellar they used to be. Um, so maybe, never say never, I guess, in the gaming industry. Um, Jack Jingle says, what are your thoughts on easy modes? Currently playing Final Fantasy VII Remake in anticipation of Rebirth and was getting slapped around on standard difficulty. So I dropped it down to easy and now I'm having a whale of a time. Surely enjoyment has to come first. Yeah. Just enjoy yourself. <laughs> well, it's one of those. Like, I'm poisoned. I'm, I'm toxic gamer brain. I'm really? like, I can't do it on easy. I've got to well, do no, it on like, That's you personally, though. Oh, yeah, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, I, no, I, should, I would never impose it on anybody. It depends on what you want out of the experience. Mm. I think if you, if you are feeling frustrated by the difficulty... Then the game is there for your enjoyment. You should you should change it and adjust how you want to. If you're there and you find enjoyment in extra challenge, uh, then you can bump it up. For me, it's like it's bump one of those like up. no one should be invested in how other people are experienced. I don't know unless unless you're skipping cutscenes. <laughs> you got to draw the line somewhere. In which case, you hurt me deeply. Um, but if it's like if you if you if you're there and you're having a good time and you feel like you're still getting your, what you want, if you feel like there's a, re- a respectable level of challenge mm. or whatever, that doesn't even matter. As long as you are enjoying the game, yeah. um, then that's fine. No one can take that away from you. No, I'll put it on easy mode if me and my wife are playing through something. Like we played through Bioshock Infinite for the first time. It was her first time in the, a few weeks ago. And I just put it on easy because mm. I don't have to worry about dying and mm. whatever. And that was great. But for me, overall, I, uh, I've i talked to Josh about this on various podcasts and stuff. But like, I always like the idea of a developer curating a level of difficulty, i.e. the, the lens of artistry kind of thing. It's like Elden Ring, the Souls games. Mm-hmm. They find ways of mitigating difficulty through gameplay mechanics, through assists you can summon in or whatever it is. But there's still a curated level 
of challenge you're supposed to be getting. Yeah. So when I choose to put it on easy, I feel like I'm missing out on some part of the vision that's there. I feel like it varies. It has yeah. to vary depending on like, when you have those different difficulty levels, because no one can tell me that when they play Call of Duty on veteran mode, that's how the game is meant to be played. No, true. Like that is where you just got grenade spam constantly. At that point, it just becomes a, I'm going to take this inch of cover and maybe <laughs> hopefully kill enough people to then be able to make it to the next spawn mm. wave to, to kick off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, it, for me, if it's got tiered difficulty modes, then that to me implies that the game is meant to function on all those modes at a certain level and provide right. you with it. I do agree with you though. I, personally, I prefer it when the game has a regimented, we, everyone has a set difficulty and this mm. is what you work with. Obviously that's going to be prohibitive to yeah, certain yeah. players, um, but that's also totally fine. Like the, the, totally. I think like difficulty modes are there for games that can withstand them and withstand the pressure of either making it more hard or making it more easy. You know, Halo is the perfect example of this. If you just mm-hmm. want to go through the story and enjoy, you know, the, the fun Master Chief vibes, you can put it on easy, just shoot a bunch, bunch of grunts. True. Um, but there's equally, if you want to play it on heroic or legendary and do it with all the skulls and do all the, the challenge and stuff that has its own fun. So yeah, no, yeah. it just really, really just varies. I think I don't think like I, said, I don't think every game should have tiered difficulty. No, no. Um, well, but when it's there, it's totally fine. Yeah, I think as well. Like I, I do like a challenge. Like I do like overcoming a challenge. Like there is, there is a unique feeling to beating something like a Souls boss. Or at the minute, like I, I cannot get the hell off Tekken Eight online. And f- playing a fighting game online is one of the easiest ways to get pasted into the ground. But I'm very much comfortable there. And like, yeah, you lose a bit at the start, but then you get in a groove for it. And then winning and winning a fighting game online is one of the best feelings ever. Mm-hmm. And it's like. Especially when in Tekken 8's case, where it comes down to specific frames and you're just clinching the win. That video you showed me earlier on. Yeah, I just posted it on uh, Twitter as well, where it came right down to the last little two ankle kicks and mine connected first. But it's like I do like that. I think I get something out of that in a way that I I wouldn't I wouldn't get that if I knocked it onto easy. And the other thing as well is that I my two biggest favorite gaming experiences of the last like five years have been Hades and Elden Ring, and those were games that made me unlearn years of comfortable game choices right. that I had been making, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, to the point where it was like, well, no, I. I I'm learning that failure is part of the process. Again, not saying oh, totally. that, that, that that is a reason why people opt for easy difficulties, not at all. But in terms of going for that and preferring the, the singular creative vision of like, this is how we want it mm. to be, then I certainly... You know that that was helpful for me in being like, oh, you know, it's okay that I died. It, yeah, it, you know, it's it, it's part of the learning process, and I'll get better. Or whatever. Do you think just to round this out? Do you think that um, so much damage would have been wouldn't have been done if the if they weren't called easy, medium, hard? If it was called like story combat, huh. I don't know, something else. That's interesting. I I, I, I I feel like it's good that people who just want to experience the game in a certain way have the easy label on it but to that's be because it's called easy that i think that wider group goes like well mm. i don't want my life to be easy uh, i want to make sure i'm earning this thing you know i just i feel like it's it, people just need to enjoy what they enjoy yeah, that's what yeah. it comes down to like if, if you want to play games on easy then you play them on easy mm-hmm. if you want to play them on hard you play them on hard it's, i just think it's been interesting yeah. to look at it um like bioware did it in mass effect 3 where it's like just pick the story mode it was like they did story and then easy medium hard mm. and i am um, i'm sure in story mode you can't I feel, die, die or something yeah mm. they did something where it, they really mitigated the challenge entirely which is like would totally work for some players but yeah i feel like that um i mean i did a whole video i wanted to call it um why we're all idiots for thinking video game difficulty matters yes um and our boss at the time was like you can't call it that that just feels like you're calling out the entire populace and um i ended up being called something like the history of difficulty in video games mm. but and um, that was in the wake of sekiro and and because the, the same conversation was coming around then and so like my thoughts on like it's the whole the whole um reality of difficulty in games like the origins of it in the arcade like they wanted to kill you to get more money like it's it is that like that's why difficulty's there never gotten past that chemical plant level in sonic <laughs> <laughs> could you pay to get 
get past it. Yeah. But it's like, um, yeah, that's why we have difficulty in video games to a point. So you can look at the origins in Space Invaders, whatever. Like, it's, it's all that stuff. Um, question from Lord Kowalakant, who says, I'm thinking of starting a podcast. Any tips for starting out slash getting things off the ground? Um, get comfortable editing audio. Mm-hmm. Um, have have audacity on hand. Get yep. you know, Watch a few tutorials. Get on with that. Um, the one thing that I would always say if you're starting a podcast, and this is going to be dumb coming from a guy who has a podcast about movies, which isn't really the most unique thing ever. Called? But, well, called Wheel of Dad Movies. Yeah. Make sure that there's a little bit of a unique in with there. Like, what is the hook that you're going with because you want a podcast? I mean, it could just be like a fun thing if you mm-hmm. want to, if you just want to have a little fun chat with people, then you could do that. But I always find the most successful podcasts are those that have a really fun kind of unique hook and dimension to them. Um, you know, give it some nice visual flair, maybe reach out to a few artists. So if you want to mm, have that, totally. that added dimension to it, um, go through like a little podcast distributor. I go through Acast, which is what, what culture yeah, uh, well, goes through Acast. as well. There's also stuff like uh, Anchor as well. Mm-hmm. I probably can't mention that on, on Acast. You but, do whatever you want. Um, but there's different, different yeah, the, the main thing is just, just do it um, and do it so long as it feels fun for you. That yeah. is the, that's the main thing. For me, it's a personal hobby thing. I get to talk about movies with my mates and it's a nice, casual, relaxed vibe and yeah, just take your time with it, have fun mm-hmm. and um, make sure that the audio doesn't sound bad. <laughs> uh, probably worth just investing in a microphone. Yeah, get yourself, because um, I, I ended up buying a microphone because like, loads of people have Rhodes, uh, R-O-D-E, like Rodecaster stuff and they're really expensive if you're starting out. Like mm-hmm. uh, you can't, you can, if you have the money, you could go, you know, and get a really high fidelity mic and everything. Um, but I think that you could start out lower than that. Like I've got a little blue snowball. Yeah, snowball's yeah. a good shout. I um, I can't think what you call the one that I ended up buying, but there was a package on Amazon where it was like forty five pounds, and you, it give you everything. And I remember googling um, the company. It, it's called like a Q nine or something, and it just is like a budget version of a Rode. But like, it sounds great, and like, it totally works. I, I get audio files would be like, it, it doesn't sound good enough, but whatever. It was totally fine uh, for me. And when I'm recording at home, yeah, for me, it's a comfort thing. Like, you should be comfortable re- getting comfortable recording, getting comfortable, um, almost doing the double thing thing that we said before, where you're record, like you're being comfortable, you're just talking, but you're making sure that it has a construct to it and you're hitting yeah. certain beats. Like whenever we do news or even the podcast or anything, um, you know, we have markers to hit. People have different processes. I like having markers to hit because I know I'm better improvising than I am memorizing. Um, and that's a different thing because it's in terms of delivering like a news report or something. Mm-hmm. But still, um, if I was just going to sit and talk, I would maybe have a few like pillars to hit and I'll navigate the way between them as I go. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I want to shout out Dan Durkin's podcast because um, our own editor started one last year um, called the Pixels and Perspectives podcast. Um, so go subscribe to that. But like his is very relaxed and very nice and you can tell it's him just enjoying talking. And I think that's um, being personable is a thing. Yes. Like um, ostensibly, I always thought that a podcast should feel like the conversation you would have had in person anyway. Way. Yeah, um, and that's why like some of the best pods and users that we do are just me grabbing you or grabbing Josh and be like, we need to talk about this thing, and uh, and that's all it ever needs to be, really. Yeah, just base, just have a laugh, have fun. Yeah. the worst thing it could be is one of those really awful football podcasts where it's not real and they're just there <laughs> saying stupid stuff. Like just football uh, podcast slammed. Yeah, just just have just have a have a laugh, just do it. And sometimes you might feel less uh, up for recording on a certain week or whatever. That's totally fine as well. Just you uh, you define the own expectations that you have of your own thing um and yeah no that's i think as well um one thing that i always took great solace in is like knowing that you have the final say over what goes live like yeah. you're what you are recording you can manage that stuff audacity is very easy to use and it's free 
Um, so you can manage the volume, you can cut bits out you don't like if you really want to, you can stitch different sentences together. Um, you know, you have the final say on the edit, which like for the longest time in what culture, we used to record stuff and it would go to a different editor. Mm-hmm. And that still happens sometimes. But um, that whole thing of like, oh my God, all my mistakes are in there. And I don't know where that was. Just, um, you know, maybe have a little notepad with you, note the timestamp down. You'll yes. get a feel for it. That's a very good recommendation. Yeah. And just, yeah. you know, you can go back through, you can tighten stuff up. Nine times out of 10, the, someone listening wouldn't even notice the thing that yeah. you got wrong, quote unquote. It, it, it depends on like, for me, like my, my podcast is just a casual chat thing. So, but I do come prepared with notes and certain facts and things that I yeah. want to touch on. But mostly it's just a, we're just going to have a, a chat like we were having, like we just walked out the cinema or we just stopped a totally. movie or something. So, it really depends on what you want to do, really. I think as well, um, I'm just throwing a million, I love podcasting. I love the history of, I've been, I feel like I've been with podcasts since the start. Um, <laughs> like it was obviously the big boom when uh, Ricky Gervais, Steve Merchant, and Carl Pilkington took off. Um, and all the, you know, their, their XFM show became their podcast show across the 2000s. Then everybody started doing podcasts. And um, I feel like having watched the rise of it over the years, like where podcasts are at now, you do want to find someone that you like, like, like the style of it. Like, I always loved giantbomb.com, the bombcast, um, and like, you know, Jeff Gersman and those guys. And it was on, it was the hotspot podcast before then. Um, find people who you like the vibe of. Maybe you like this podcast. And this is like, I'm, my podcasting experience comes from what we chatted around on here. Like it's basically just a casual laugh chat yeah. and then some insight. I think that's the best thing to have. I mean, it, again, it will vary. Like if you were doing like a history podcast and you want to make it educational and you mm. have to maybe work from a script or something, it's yeah. up to you. But yeah, no, totally. Like find something that you enjoy listening to yourself and and. Go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, trust your instincts. Yeah, see what you like listening to and think about why you like listening to it and then what would making your own version of that bring to either your life or potentially someone else's. Um, final couple questions. How long we got you and how long we've been doing? 35 minutes. The wrestling- what do you think I am? Clock King? <laughs> There's so many things going on in the wrestling world that I know the wrestling people need to be in, but we will do a couple more questions. One from Matthew McGowan who says, I'm having a home theater installed next week. 100-inch screen, Ooh. 4K projector theater seats the Ooh. works. I'm hooking my PlayStation five up to it what game should i play first and what movie should i watch first to use it to its fullest potential and to break it <sighs> this is this is matthew mcgowan you're living the best Jesus, life just, just, oh, <laughs> my sound bar broke the other day i don't even have, I don't even have a no i don't even have any audio i mean my my version of a home theater is like discovering i can turn the big light off and then just put my headphones on that's that's yeah, good enough i mean me. i'm so glad you discovered the, the oh, pets, so good yeah turning the light hdr off. looks great yeah, yeah horror games stuff yeah. it's like shadows yeah um, do you want to go with games first, then I'll go with the movie um, You have a PlayStation 5. The most uh, bang whiz, look how much graphics we have game on the PS5 is Horizon Forbidden West. So um, that'll be on PlayStation Plus, I think, mm. um, if you haven't played Horizon yet. It's just a hyper, ridiculously colorful game. It runs beautifully. Um, even though I prefer Zero Dawn story-wise, Forbidden West is a, just a gorgeous game. You can't go wrong with either Horizon Forbidden West or God of War Ragnarok. Like Those are the two temples yeah. of just look what this system can do. Also, um, like a more personal recommendation in terms of something I effing loved to stop swearing is a uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Um, that game's gorgeous, plays so well, like um, just a delightful game. If you can quote unquote get away with, you know, like a cutesy sort of more kiddie kind of game, because um, I know that puts some people off, it doesn't for me. Uh, Rift Apart is is a perfect Ratchet and Clank game. It's just, it moves so well. It's like playing a Pixar movie. Like it's yeah. gorgeous. I would recommend Spidey 2 as well. I yeah, imagine the yeah. opening Sandman bit would mm-hmm. look so good on that screen. Um, also like to swing in, if you turn the sweet swing assist off, mm-hmm. just swing <laughs> on a hundred inch screen, swinging at full speed in Spidey 2 would be insane. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In terms of movies, um, I'd recommend because I'm on a big Michael Mann kick at the minute, nice. Heat. Um, if you get like a, the, the 4K 
uh, Ultra HD disc of that because streaming is going to compress everything. So make sure you get the disc. Mm. Have that on that big theater with the lights off uh, and just bask in it because that movie will move you... Oh, that to another planet. I love yeah. that film to pieces. These are the stuff that's like you associate with like big screen adventure. Lawrence of Arabia, come on, it's like the biggest movie ever made. You have that, it's a masterpiece. Dude. It's, it's absolutely it's fantastic. Right. Um, even you could do like Bridge on the River requires all of those David Lean movies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, certainly do that. Um, maybe do like a big Jim Cameron movie, Terminator 2. Would look pre- Although the 4K for that is a bit goopy. They right. use the AI rest- restoration technology. On that See, I was thinking of um, like my mind went to like animation, like things that will wow you kind of thing. But like, that's why I started thinking of like Horizon and God of War. It was like Spider Verse is absolutely gorgeous. Yes, and, to be fair, that and across be... the Spider Verse yeah, is even yeah. more so. Um, you could throw them on like animated you stuff. Could do some Bayhem. Get some Bayhem in there. That's <laughs> um, recommend one. What's your pick for Michael Bay? Oh, uh, well, uh, technically speaking, I know you didn't like it. I mm. do think Ambulance is his technically best well-made movie. Mm. If we're talking about one that I will watch forever and ever and never get sick of, it's The Rock. Show. Um, I'll go Bad Boys too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, go go for something big, but I would I would say go for Heat because it's gorgeously shot, really atmospheric, perfect cinema movie, mm-hmm. and uh, it gives me an excuse to uh, do the Al Pacino impression again of "Give me what you got, <laughs> give me what you got." I used to do, and maybe I can't pull it off right now. I used to do the shortest Al Pacino impression ever, which was just "Oh," <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> just got a big ass, got a great ass. <laughs> Do you know what else got a great ask? The UBP, the UBP, the UBP, the Intelliband podcast. Massive thank you to everybody for sending in your various questions. I've been Scott Tailford. That's been you and Patterson. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> All feel free to do your favorite Al Pacino impressions. Thanks again. Have a lovely weekend and we'll catch you soon. Goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.